0: Take two. It's Ken Dashow's okay. Beatles Revolution. One, two, three, four.
1: Oh, yeah. on the Fall on iHeartRadio.
0: Ken Dashow's Beatles Revolution with the man who started the Fest for Beatles fans that I've hosted now for the last 83 and a half years. Close. <laughs> Feels like it sometimes. My dear friend who's not no, you're not friend. You've become family. Mark Lapidus. Because Mark, his wife Carol, and his daughters have put this together. And it really started, when you say homegrown, I mean homegrown. And you bring together all these Beetle fans far and wide. Uh, what year is this for the fest?
1: This is the 44th year. 44,
0: 44. years. We're doing it, uh, this is the spring of 2018, March 9th through the 11th at, I think, my favorite hotel that we've ever been at. No offense to the others, but the Hyatt Regency in Jersey City. It's right on the Hudson. It's a four-minute train ride on the path from the World Trade Center. It's that easy from Jersey, from the city, even from Long Island. It's so easy to get to. It's beautiful, and uh, we're going to have a ball. And the idea is it's a lot of live music. For This is for those who have never come to a Fest for Beetle fans. There's lots of live music and lots of guests playing music, and there's concerts every night with all the stars, and during the day, there's concerts as well, but we talk about people's experiences, people who are with the Beatles, people who are part of them, their world, people who were not part of the Beatles, but were part of the experience, British Invasion, and the idea to me, anyway, was let's get to know the Beatles better. Let's enjoy their music, and maybe we get to celebrate it, and, and it's not a teaching thing, you know, It's not a, it's not a symposium. It's all about just celebrating it. And if you pick up something along the way, you will. For instance, this year, 2018, I'm doing something with Billy J. Kramer. Uh, Billy was friends with the Beatles from Liverpool, and they loved him. The other ones, the the boys were the ones who recommended that Brian Epstein go take a look at Billy and sign him, got him on his way. The Beatles wrote his first song for him, Bad to Me. And he's been a friend and been at the fest for a lot of years. And, and Billy
1: and John is the one who gave him his, his name. middle initial. Yeah. Well, and he said
0: call call your band the Dakotas. What does that mean, John? He goes, Don't know, but it sounds American. And as Billy said, and this is this su- kind of sums it up, doesn't it? He? he goes, You wouldn't get mad if you didn't follow his advice. But if you had any brains at all, you just
1: did what he said. <laughs> <laughs> sounds very true.
0: How wrong could you go musically than doing what John Lennon tells you to do? Y- you know, you can't really go wrong with that. It's like how to Pitch by Sandy Koufax. Just great do formula. What great formula. It is. One of the things, here's a perfect example of what the fest is about. Billy said, we do all this, and a lot of people feel like, you know, the Beatles came from nowhere. He said, I've read so many articles saying the Beatles came from nowhere. Nothing comes from nowhere. Like, everything comes from a reason. So Billy and I are going to do a musical trip on the music that they were listening to as kids that led to forming a band from the Quarrymen, to becoming the Beatles here's the stuff we were listening to Johnny Kidd and the Pirates and American rock and roll and listening to Eddie Cochran and Little Richard and Chuck Berry and Elvis and it's not just playing those guys but people you never heard of in England Johnny Kidd and the Pirates and Billy Fury yeah. And skiffle sure. music—that was the biggest thing.
1: Skiffle, skiffle music. made it over here for a while. Does your chewing gum lose its flavor you on know, the post overnight?
0: And that was Lonnie Donegan, Rock yeah. Island Line. There you go. And you know, I said to Billy about chewing gum. He goes, "Oh, that's rubbish. That's a joke, eh?"
1: I love that song. I know, but because I we, was a kid when. But, but came we were out. kids when we heard it. Yeah.
0: And so we're going through that and talking about you know what skiffle music meant. Uh, yeah. Randy Bachman. I finally, after ten years of trying to get Randy to schedules to coordinate. He's got a great album out by George, by Bachman. You might have heard it on our live breakfast with the Beatles uh, last week on George's 75th birthday. It's amazing he's reimagined it. So he's going to play live, and we talk, we have fun, and there are dealer rooms where you can buy all this great Beatles stuff. I just love being part of it.
1: Um, It's great having you. you. You know you're up to 18 years already.
0: Are you serious? I'm serious. 18 years. I had to go
1: back and check the program books. Have I really been doing this 18 years? This is the 18th, yeah. You Have I
0: been doing this 44 years? Yeah, but you started it, so you're supposed know. to know that. For me, everything now in my life, I'll say to my wife, Jane, i remember like five years ago? And she'll go, no, that was 20. Or, hey, remember that? Like, no, that was before you met me. Oh, yeah. Because everything just, time just becomes like this, like a fluid kind of Ban
1: that well, is the, I mean, we're putting together the show this year and we say, well, it's the fiftieth anniversary of the White Album. Everyone knows that. But hey, it's also the fiftieth year of the Yellow Submarine film coming out. Yeah. Th- at the end of the year. Within a week of when the White Album came out. Hey, it's also the fortieth anniversary of the Ruddles.
0: Or Neil
1: Innes is coming. He wrote it all. <laughs> and hey, it's also the thirtieth anniversary of the Traveling Wilburys. They came out in nineteen eighty eight. And wow. Roy Orbison, of course, was right. the was the um, wasn't the start of it, but he was the one of the founding members of rock and roll back sure. in the fifties. And Beatles Roy's boys, yeah. and Roy's boy, his sons are coming to the fest. This is the last minute edition, and they're going to be performing with the Birds of Paradox on Saturday afternoon, and then at night with Liverpool, they're going to do a whole bunch of uh, of their dad's songs. I'm going to give some you Beatles guys songs.
0: if you want to ever impress your friends like with Beatle trivia. It's my favorite. I don't know Beatle trivia, like our other host, Tom Francioni, is that geek who knows you know where they bought the orange tie in the cover. Try me. <laughs> no, my oh. favorite Beatles trivia question, and you guys can use this on each other, is name the one band where every member is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame but the band itself isn't. And it's the band Traveling we just mentioned, Wilburries. the Traveling Wilburys, yeah. with Jeff Lynne going in in 2017. So you've got Jeff Lynne, who's now in, Tom Petty, who's in, May rest in peace. Still horrible. George, of George course, is in. Bob Dylan is in, and Roy Orbison is in. Yeah. So everybody's in, but not the Wilburys. Which is go figure. Yeah. It's Who not, do I, you
1: speak to on that, Ken?
0: Me, <laughs> me. When I have Stevie here. Hey,
1: we got Moody Blues in finally. Finally got with Moody Danny, Blues. In. Danny Lane part of it. And which Danny is Lane really nice. Danny's been to the fest many times. Many over times years. because
0: of his connection with Wings. Yeah. Uh, and Neil Linnis. It's just love. Yeah. You know, there's been some fans who say, I don't like the Ruddles and making fun of the Beatles. Please, again, understand George Harrison financed this. Right. George was, is he's in, the, in the, film. the film. And when they sent a copy to John, because everybody must have said, Oh, John must have hated it. The word was, we all know, John laughed himself sick, laughed so hard at, at Yoko dressed like Hitler sitting in a shower. We're showering for peace. Said he almost threw up and said to Neil, "You're not getting this back. I'm never letting this go. You may not make finish it, but I'm going to hold on to this. I love it." He said, "But you can have problems with Paul." And Paul did sue for <laughs>
1: copyright infringement. Did he? Yeah, um, he did. He threatened. I don't know if he actually sued. No, they, they get they get back, get up and go. Yes, That's get up was and too go. Close, but it, it didn't come to that because I guess because George was involved in it. Neil is a real genius, genius in songwriting. I mean he he's written a lot. You know, a lot of the songs for Monty Python. All the Ruddles songs were him. The Ruddles, the outtakes, and uh, he,
0: he told he. You know, again, one of my favorite Beatles stories because it's so human. Mark, that's what you haven't heard any of these podcasts. And no, don't. Yeah, it's fine. No. But I love getting guests in here. Um, just in the past, say six months, I've had uh, Steve Hackett from Genesis. No. Uh, John Lodge from the Moody Blues going ooh. into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Danny Lane was up here. Randy Bachman was just up last week. I'm in good company. Graham Nash. ooh, great. You know, Peter Asher has done it. Steven has done it. So how all these people and asking them about what the Beatles were to them, about their interactions.
1: Is there any common thread that you hear from these guys?
0: Yeah. And the thing that always blows me away and not in a, well, you know, they were great or I always appreciated them is these people who have these magnificent careers, professional careers above and beyond what the average person could dream of, are so in awe and shocked by what the Beatles are. First hearing them, and then as you get in, deeper into the business of songwriting and performing and realizing what they did, they're even more in awe of it.
1: Yeah, um, and you hear stories of, of uh, celebrities meeting a Beatle and it's like it's the greatest moment of their life. They, they, these are big, star, huge stars, and they melt. And they say, I, I, I'm like a kid. Yep. I met Paul McCartney. Ozzy Osbourne, right? You don't the first... Osborne, right? The, yeah. The, the most famous guy who says, I, I, I was like a kid. He's like the greatest person. I've always he, said, yeah. and you know
0: I've said it, if you listen to Crazy Train, you hear the music in the Ozzy, ah, yeah, yeah. read the lyrics, and it is Imagine Part 2. If you put it to a you know, piano.
1: I heard you say that and then I heard the song and I said, Wow, you're right. Millions
0: of people yeah. living as foes. Yeah. They forgot how to they, you know, they forgot how to love and learn to hate. People not hearing, caring were going off the rails on a crazy train. That's his ode to imagine. Yeah. Again, Beatle you know, as he's always said, Tony Iomi was up here and said, You don't understand that, especially in the north, if you're not from London, you have two options growing up. You can either go be if you're smart, you go on to university. If you're not, you go work in the factory. Liverpool had Liverpool had the shipyards. We had the steel in Birmingham. You know, we had we had uh, steel mills in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So you knew we're not we're not that smart. Two options: university, factory. University, or you know, blue collar work. Beatles um, come out. Perhaps a third one came along. goes, but he said you have to stand. People go, well, there were bands before that. Yeah, there were bands, and you'd play at the pub on Saturday nights. Or play the local club and maybe make fifty Three pounds. He you goes, know, but a career as a musician—if you weren't some handsome young dandy—yeah, they're better looking than anybody. But you sit there and go, Re- could we do that? Well, we could take a shot at it. He goes, that's how big a change it was. Like you understand, it wasn't just they were a good band; they they opened up a line of work that we never oh, thought was possible was a seismic, as professionals. Ch- it
1: was a seismic change, right? Right there,
0: With, without a doubt. I mean, spread everything naturally
1: it wasn't created it was spread because of their hard work yep working those clubs especially in hamburg for for eight hours a night that was the takeaway
0: you heard on on breakfast of the beatles last week mm-hmm. when we did it live what was the takeaway that randy bachman who grew up in winnipeg and little stephen who grew up in new jersey you two people couldn't be more further diametrically opposite geographically And yet they might as well have lived in the same house at the same time for the same experiences, teenage bands, seeing them on Ed Sullivan. And Randy and little Steven both said the same thing, which was greatness is a grind. It's every day. It's the eight shows a night they did in in the strip clubs in Hamburg. It's Randy in a van driving from Winnipeg to New Orleans for $400 between four people. Why? Because it was a gig and we got home, and now we've got another gig across Canada, 2,000-mile round trip, $400. $400. We got a gig in Florida. Where's that? Don't know, but the car's in good shape, $400. (laughs) Did it matter? No. You know why? Because while we were in the car, we were learning how to travel. You learn how to repair a car, which, as the Beatles will tell you, is as important a thing in the world, and you write songs. (laughs) You write songs. And on the way, maybe there's a gig somewhere here or there. And you just play, and you play, and you play, and you get that much better. And that's if you have the talent, that's great. But that's how you hone your craft by just grinding. It's, a,
1: it's it. more than talent. But you have to have the talent, but you have to learn it. Right. And it's a learning process. That's what little Stephen was saying. It's it's, it's a learning. Pro- right. When he and remember Stephen
0: said like you you found so many people found Bruce Springsteen on Born to Run. He goes, We'd been a band for seven years by that point, playing like five, six nights a week. Why do you think it sounded that good? Why do you think when we stay at the stage, there's such a show and charisma? This is nothing we can't handle. We got it. You know, and same thing for Randy and for for all uh, all the great bands we love. You two, think of anybody. Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. You know, that's all they did as kids. That's the parallel to what they're doing. And hearing these stories we come to the fest is just amazing. One of my favorites... When John Lodge was up here, and I've said it a lot, as he said when I talked about it, when Billy's going to talk about it, it was Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. There was Eddie Cochran. There was Little Richard, Billy Elvis, and the- Elvis and the Jordanaires, Cliff Richard and the Shadows. A handsome guy in front, some musicians,
1: Jerry and the Pagemakers,
0: right? Two, th- Freddie and, and the Dreamers. H- handsome guy in front, two, three guys behind him as musicians in the back. The handsome guy with the pompadour is the lead singer. The other guys play music. Beatles come on, as John Lodge said, we're the local band in Birmingham, you know, in the 60s, they were what, Diablo and the Sombreros, they're <laughs> wearing Sombreros, you know, just a gimmick, sorry lads, you're the opening act, there's a band from Liverpool, what, are you crazy, we're the Birmingham band, we're the guys, it's our club, no, no, they got a record deal at 63, they're going to they they're gonna headline, so we stand with our arms folded in front, this better be good, and they run on the stage, boom, and they're playing and it's the greatest thing we ever saw. But there are three guys in front and a drummer in the back. And we had never, ever, ever seen anybody set up like that.
1: I don't think anyone ever did. No,
0: as he said, think about what you take for granted now. Stones, Beatles, Who, Led Zeppelin, Moody Blues, anybody. A- you know, Aerosmith, Foreigner. Everybody's in front, a drummer in the back. He goes, but nobody had ever done it. We sit there going, well, which one's the singer? Wait, he's singing. No, wait, the other guy's singing. You don't have three, how do you have three singers in a band?
1: And the drummer sings too.
0: And the drummer, you know, nobody had ever seen that. And he said, so it's like, he said, you understand they changed the structure, not just musically, but of what a band looks like on a stage. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's It's really, it's heavy for, and he goes, so, you know, the other guys in my band couldn't sing. Uh, You know, I was the singer. Wow! So we we find another. I found another guy. So hey, guess what, John? Hey, he says what? Justin Hayward. He's a great singer, and maybe before the Beatles, it would be a fight. Well, listen, mate. There can only be one singer in this band. After the Beatles come, we're actively trying to find at least two great singers because Mm -hmm. now that's the new rule. There's a rule. You might as well have written it in stone. From now on, if you're a rock band, you better have two great singers. Not one guy who just right. sings
1: harmony. So then in, you sing one, I sing one. So then, like in '73, Genesis, the two yep. great singers, mm-hmm. Be- yeah. Okay.
0: Peter, Peter leaves. Peter. Well, we got Phil. So that there, you still have one basic singer in that band. Certain yeah, bands but... were able to pull that off. Yes, at John Anderson, ELP, just had Greg Lake in Prague. There was right. one. But for rock groups, pretty much, even though you had one main singer, say Lou Gramm, a foreigner, or Peter Wolf, there's a front man. Bruce is the front man. Yeah. But Steven's singing, Nils Lofgren is singing, everybody's singing. It's a, it's a different kind of vibe of what they built. Those are the stories I love, finding out You know what people's reactions
1: are. Well, over the years, we've been fortunate to have pretty much everybody involved in the Beatles story come to the fest. And, uh, Who's, all right, I'm going to
0: put you on the spot. Uh-oh. Who would you say is the most memorable guest you've had in 44 years?
1: Donovan. Why? Um well I've always been a big fan of Donovan. Um the stories he tells. I mean he you know he, th- that story he tells when when Paul drives up to his house knocks on the door opens it up. Great story. And he's sitting there talking uh and he says I have this song the yellow submarine and I'm I'm not sure I need some words. And while that while they're talking the knock is on the door <laughs> and a police officer comes up and says uh, uh who's uh was it Aston Martin? And Aston Martin. Whose car is this on the curb? with the door open and the engine running. And Paul says, oh, that's mine. And, the and by the says, way, let
0: me interrupt for a second. Uh, Donovan and Paul had been, in fact, using Mother Nature, had been using some herbal enhancement to oh, help have write uh, the song of Yellow Submarine. Ah. When the policeman knocks on the door, oh, just to put okay. it in perspective.
1: So he knocks on the door, opens it up. Wh- whose car is this? And Paul says, well, it's mine. So without missing a beat, the guy says, the, pol- the officer says, uh, would you like me to park it for you yes
0: if you give me the keys <laughs> yeah. i'll park it properly right. for you and so, that's when i realized it was good to be donovan right but it was better to be a, a beetle, beetle.
1: <laughs> right. so he, so donovan went into his room for a few minutes sat down maybe had some uh some fresh more inspiration air, and came up with the sky of blue sea of green and paul says oh that'll do great thanks don bye off you go so he yeah you know, donovan's terrific um so many I uh, I know uh, mal Evans was there the first year in 75 how was how was that I wish I had met him he was sitting watching magical mystery tour and he's telling me all the things that are going on behind the scenes and I wish I would have written them all down but the one that it's it's come out since but in 75 nobody knew this story um they were going to do a scene on the the four on the hill scene from France when, when it choose the mountains so so, so Mal says, and Paul says to Mal, "Let's go. We're gonna to go to France." So they they go to the airport. Neither of them have any ID on them. Neither have a penny on them. <laughs> but he's a beetle. Boom. <laughs> How do you <laughs> go out a, of the
0: country with no money or passport? Because you're a beetle. You're Paul McCartney. And you can
1: do it. And and he said we were freezing a rears off. It was really chilly that morning when we did it. And then we came. We had to take. We took a cameraman too, I guess, and then or two. And then we came back and. It was part of the film, but, you know.
0: Mal Evans, by the way, he was the guy there, Uber roadie, who set up all the gear, broke it down, helped drive them. The big, tall, hulking guy with glasses. You might know him as the swimmer who's always looking for the white cliffs of Dover. That-a-way. Right, if you think in about it. all the, the
1: years, the biggest compliment I've ever had in my entire life came from Mal Evans. Now, here's this guy, as you just said. <clears throat> he was the Beatles road manager, hung out with them since 1963 did excuse <coughs> me was there weekends with them around the clock whatever they needed he says to me mark this was the greatest weekend of my life wow i'll never forget that I, said, I would have traded any one of his weekends for any one of mine but he just he was never the center of attention nobody knew who he was right Home that was his,
0: his job was to make sure they were the center of attention oh, and they all had all the that day. was
1: his loyalty in fact all the all the guests we've had what i've noticed for the most part is they all had that sense of loyalty and that when they were working for the Beatles it was that's all they counted and right. they wanted to make sure it was a small group of people it wasn't a lot of people yeah. to taylor was a great he was brian's assistant right at the, in the record shop and he came on to apple also and he had all the he he had so many great stories to tell like john said oh i'd like to buy an island Do you want to go to greece and find me an island Sure, <laughs> he tries to find it. I don't know, I don't think it ever worked out, but, I mean, Odd Request, whatever it was, he was known as Mr. Fix-It, but he was terrific. He would stop in the halls at night, talk, anyone asking questions, he would answer he would them sit and sit talk. down. He would sit down and start his own talk groups all around. So he was really one of our best guests. He wasn't one of the most well-known ones. He was sort of in the background, right. but terrific.
0: And, uh, yeah, a lot of times it's not necessarily the most well-known that has the yeah. best stories. And, by the way, just... For those who haven't been here, and you do have to get to the Fest for Beatle fans, hopefully you're coming uh, this year in 2018, March 9th through the 11th, Hyatt Regency in Jersey City, right outside the uh, yeah. right outside of the, of uh, course, the, the World Trade Center. Um, Thefest.com for tickets. Yeah, it's the such Fest a great, fest.com. we
1: really have a terrific lineup of musical guests.
0: Randy Bachman. Oh, Mark is there Mark all the Rivera's time. There. Why is the guy from Billy Joel at the Fest? Oh, because he has this other job, too. Which is being the music director for Ringo and the All Star Band. Just a little second. And he's you want to talk about stories there about the oh, music yeah. and be you know, it's I always ask Mark, what does it mean to be a music director? He goes, It's very easy. It's called being traffic cop. He's a traffic cop with a saxophone. And his
1: great story in, from two thousand ten, is the secret uh birthday, seventieth birthday appearance right. by Paul. He's the only one in Radio knew. City. Were you there that day? Yeah. Of course. I in my whole life I've never felt the building shake
0: I thought the roof was coming down I
1: thought it was like it was like we were all teenagers again think of the loudest Screaming.
0: screams you've ever heard in your life it's at true. a show and even that and these are all professionals I mean doctors lawyers not there are young people in the show but it's mostly middle-aged First to older men. fans and, and it was the Shea Stadium scream it was it and really I said was. to Rivera you've been on stage how long with Billy Joel with everyone name somebody you haven't played with Did you ever hear a screamer like that he said not even close.
1: Never. And Ringo really didn't know about it because Gary Wright, he was yeah. at the Fest a few years ago, he said, I was standing right next to him. We knew what was happening. He didn't. Barbara knew So because Ringo comes off the stage at the end of the right. show. And, and he was going he said, let's go. And they he, said, no, he wait, there's a little something extra. He said, no. So, and when he saw Paul come on the stage, he 70 years old, he sort of leapt, like leaped onto his drum kit because he wanted right. to be there as quick as he could. And
0: Mark said, see this drum kit? See these sticks? No one touches this but Ringo. If Ringo doesn't come back out to play, no drummer, just Greg Bissonette. But no, yeah. nobody else grabs this. Um, you know what? You know what Paul did to set that up? He called him and said, "Ringo, I love you. I can't come. I'm in England." uh but i don't know if i'll be able to get to you tomorrow or this weekend on the day but just calling you now to tell you i love you a happy birthday so he did it intentionally right like just from his house here in manhattan to throw him off the scent that's how much of a surprise he wanted it to be
1: you know in the uh, the rehearsal was in the afternoon and we know some people uh tom uh, i think tom, yeah, tom francione they're outside the uh, the door of radio city and paul comes out and they were asking for autographs. He said, "I'll sign it, but you promised me you c- don't say anything to anybody because it's a real s- surprise for Ringo." Right. And nobody said a word to anybody.
0: Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that terrific? We yeah. took a picture. Nobody let. And, left and the Ringo really that. didn't know. No, it was just it, wonderful. It was. We got John Colbert is with us this year. John yeah. plays piano, Forrest plays keyboard so many times uh, on uh, Live Breakfast I, with the Beatles. Yeah, and
1: he's a he's a great, a terrific singer. And terrific a, he, singer.
0: A, he's a very talented guy. Man. And one of the most heartfelt stories. You know, when we were celebrating John Lennon's birthday, he's past October, October 17, you know, and he's playing, it's the tribute to Sir Lou Grade and, and John's putting this band together and, uh, John Lennon's putting a band together and John Colbert's playing keyboards and he's going to play piano and play Imagine. And John, young guy, what, 20, maybe 19, I think. Yeah. John's sitting at the, at the piano on a piano bench and John Lennon sits down to him and says, let me show you exactly how I play Imagine. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, for for three and a half minutes, my heart simply didn't beat. I simply sat next to John Lennon, watching his fingers on the intonation. I know the notes, but watching the intonation of him play Imagine and trying not to cry. He goes, you know what? He said, were you nervous? No, I wasn't nervous. I was trying not to, like, clap, cry into his shoulder in a pool of tears because of the beauteous moment, thinking, you're a professional musician, pay attention, this, you know, you're a working musician. Right. Pay attention. I'm sitting next to John Lennon on a piano. He's showing me how to play a med. You're a professional right. musician. Pay attention so you can do this.
1: I'm right. next to All John that stuff Lennon. doesn't matter. You're sitting there. Those next are to the John stories Lennon. you're going to get at the yeah. fest. Oh, yeah, terrific. And Peter Asher, of course, he's coming. I've he's made doing... so
0: many friends through this. Um, I mean, I had met Billy J. Kramer, but right. because of the fest for Beatle fans, Billy and I become the closest yeah. friends in the world. Billy too. J. Kramer. Billy, yeah. Peter Asher. Mm -hmm. Lawrence Juber, who's one of my dearest friends, and all these people, and Donovan, you know, and going to lunch with Don, all this through the fest. I mean, I hear Q104.3 on the radio anyway, but the fest is what really brings us closer together. And last year, like I said, I've loved everybody I've talked to, um, but last year at the fest, having met for the first time in all these years, Klaus Vorman, who was there in Hamburg Uh, In the early days, uh, Klaus was sort of dating Astrid, who fell in love with Stu Sutcliffe. And she's the one who created the look and the haircuts. And he sort of brought everyone, the the sort of art crowd of Hamburg to say, look at these rough boys from England. They're amazing. They're beautiful. And launch them. They stayed friends. And not only brilliant graphic artists, the man who created the Revolver album cover,
1: and the anthology. And
0: the anthology. But, but amazing bass player. Has played on so many of their solo works. man for man. But and the thing about Klaus. Hearing his stories, I you know, it's just the, breathtaking.
1: But the most important thing, the, I mean, we had Klaus back in 78 in L.A. and 79 yeah. in New York. But hearing Klaus tell the story again that how he found, how he met the Beatles, he was just he broke up with Astrid. Right. taken taking a walk down the Reaper and hears his music. And he loves it. He falls in love with this music right away, and goes to tell Astrid, and comes back. So when you think about the whole big picture of the Beatles, the catalyst was Klaus Forman,
0: right? That
1: he was the catalyst.
0: And every here's the thing about this crazy movie called The Beatles, you know. And even that George Harrison said, it "Was it was on uh, on uh, anthology?" said so That's when Ringo joined the movie. Because, you know, because it must have felt like that because everything happened and fall into place like dominoes. But for everybody who said, well, if it wasn't Brian Epstein, somebody would have managed them and discovered them. If it wasn't Klaus Foreman, somebody would have walked along. It doesn't matter. Here's how it happened. Right. You can always guess that something would have happened. The and, Mets if, would have won the World Series in '69 without AG's catcher. No, but it, this is how it happened. '86 may I mean, happened. Yeah, if, you know what I'm saying? If, but right. this is how it happened.
1: Right. So every story has that. There's always things like if you don't, if a a, a woman and a man doesn't meet because of a weather condition, whatever little right. thing, then you're not around because your parents right. never met.
0: There's exactly there was yeah. a there was someone at the fest I've, years ago who was who was there in the early sixties, who was on the scene. And I was having lunch and I was with uh with uh Mark Hudson, who is our friend, and with Billy J. Kramer. And this gentleman said he actually said at lunch. He goes, look, I'm not taking anything away from Brian Epstein. He did a great job, but you know, he ran a record store. He didn't know about managing bands. If he hadn't signed the Beatles, they were so good, you know, somebody else would have signed him it's about their talent, not about the manager who signed them. And Billy slammed his coffee cup down and said to this gentleman, "Then why didn't you, manage them, eh? Why didn't you sign them before Brian saw them? Well, I he goes. You were there. Didn't did you see the greatest band in the world? Did you go to every record label in London and be turned down and said still don't accept it? How come you didn't do that?
1: Well, it was Brian's dedication.
0: That's his. That was Billy's whole point.
1: Unabashed. After dedication.
0: the fact, it's easy to say." Well, if you've got Tom Brady and Gronkowski, anybody can win, can coach, and be champions. If you've, you know, if you're the best team, whatever, anybody can do it. Well, why don't you do it? You know, Brian. And how
1: many times has that been proven false?
0: Oh, always, right? right? <clears throat> always. Hey, anybody could just get a bunch of guests and do the fest for Beatles fans. But no. <laughs> so, Mark Mark Lapidus is my guest who created the fest for Beatles fans, and you say created. You know, things happen to make money, and there's, uh, there are conventions where people sign autographs for money you pay, and then you pay them for autographs. And I'm not putting that down. That's fine. That's its own thing. But the catalyst for this is because we all love the music, yeah. and we love what was created, and it changed our lives, whether we were little kids at the time, whether we were young adults, older adults, or whether you found the Beatles in five years ago. If you heard this music, I know if you're listening to this, it's because you changed your life.
1: Money never came. Money never came up. No. So now you
0: have to tell the story. This beautiful Uh, could only happen with the Beatles story.
1: How long do we have?
0: You (laughs) tell. We have as much time as you need. Um, Here's how it happened. Mark was managing Sam Goody.
1: Yes, the Radio City, right next to Radio City. Right. The that that was a record store at the time. Oh yeah, record and audio.
0: Big big chain.
1: Yeah, the biggest chain in the New York area. Right the northeast so i i was a, actually I go back five years before that i met john lennon in 69 in london just quickly i waited to outside the apple studios and he came out to look at a, a fireplace in a truck <laughs> i shook his hand they offered him my passport i said hello i got his autograph and a picture and uh, i said i'm walking around london on that with my friend that said I just shook one of one of one of God's hands. Right. One of the Beatles' hands. I want to work for them. I really said that I was out of college and I get back and uh so we I get a job at Sam Goody selling Beatles records and other records. And at the end of 1973, sitting at a uptown East Side ice cream place over a dish of vanilla ice cream, I said somebody should do something to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Beatles' arrival in America. And idea just popped in my head of a convention in the hotel. So I sat with it for a while. Then after the first of the year, I said, okay, the first two questions, where and when? So I took out my own money, plunked it down in the old Commodore Hotel, picked September 7th and 8th, 1974. Commodore Hotel
0: right next to Grand Central.
1: Right, it's the Grand Hyatt where we had our 50th anniversary show four years ago. And I proceeded to write all the Beatles letters and backed it up on cassette letters too. Figured, I figured, w- I'm not going to do the show without their support. It's not right. So I heard nothing. And then I heard uh, Cousin Brucie announce on a Friday night that that John Lennon and Harry Nielsen were going to be on Central Park for, the, for this new March of Dimes thing going on. It's a concert. I think Fifth Dimension were there. And I said, I'm going to meet John on Sunday. And, uh, of course, everybody thought it was nuts. But that you and a week, few million other New Yorkers. Yes. Um, so... Th- th- I got to keep this short because of the No, we forever. don't. We got time. It's a podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so that week at Sam Goody, we had a, every once in a while, every month or two, there was a special. It could be Columbia Records, it could be Capitol. This one, this week was Beatles Records, just coincidentally, nothing to do with the fact that John was going to be there in Central Park. So um, I found out because I was a fan that Capitol Records made these pr- 10th anniversary promotional Beatles shirts. So I called Capitol. And they say, no, we know nothing about it. Really? Okay. So I call the West Coast. I call the Tower in in Hollywood. They said, yeah, we have them. I said, well, I happen to be the manager of the biggest Sam Goody, the biggest record store in the whole Northeast. Uh, I'd like my employees to wear the shirts all week. Sure, we'll send you how many you need. I don't remember how many there were, but he sent me this box, big gigantic box of shirts. Nobody was allowed to touch those shirts except me. So I handed them out to every one of my employees, and we. They, I wore them to all week long. Uh, the promotion ended, and uh, that's Sunday morning, April 28th, 1974, happened to be a warm day. So what shirt do you think I wear, Ken? Take a wild guess. You
0: were in that Beatles shirt.
1: You got it, and it has a nice 10 and all four of them in there, a nice a royal blue shirt. Not royal, darker, navy blue. A T-shirt? So, a T-shirt, yeah. yeah. So I'm walking, uh, we get to Central Park, and I'm- Find a place to sit down on the on the lawn, and there's a hundred thousand people there, early in the morning. Sure, waiting till about one o'clock till John was coming on, and somewhere in the distance, I'm I'm seeing this guy, with a shirt that I'm wearing, and he doesn't work for me, so of course I, get up and I start walking over lots of people. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I just want to go past you, and I get to this guy, and I said, and he's looking at me. I got the same shirt he does. I said, where'd you get that shirt? He said, well, last night I was driving my pickup truck at Times Square and I see these two guys sitting on a curb. (laughs) So I get out (laughs) and said, can I help you? Do you need a ride anywhere? And uh, it happens to be John Lennon and Harry Nielsen. Sitting on a curb. Sitting on a curb in Times Times Square. Square.
0: Drunk off their ass, I assume.
1: I wasn't there, One so we could, we could assume that there's probably some libation when it was the two of them at that time. So he said, sure, would you mind take, driving us back to our hotel? So he drives him back to the hotel. It was the Pierre Hotel uh, on the east side, right off the Central Park where he was going right. to be. And John invites him up, sits down, talks for a few minutes, and, and gives him a shirt and signs a couple autographs, and he's on his way. I said, so then I said to him, what hotel was that? It's the Pierre. I said, what room? So the ten nineteen. A hundred thousand people. The only person in the whole city who would know where John wow. was staying. Again, that was doing the Lost Weekend. So that's he was in part LA of the room.
0: this part of this part of the crazy. So
1: right. So John's on stage with Harry for, with cousin Bruce for fifteen minutes. Just no music, just talking. It was wonderful. Everyone went nuts. So after uh, they left, I walked. Over to the. It was right across the street. I sat down in the lobby, took a bunch of deep breaths. Okay, I can I can do this. <laughs> I know I, I, I'm I'm scared, shipless. Yep. <laughs> and I walk over to the elevator, push the elevator button, go up. And, and there's no
0: security. There's no even one guy in front of More the door. No
1: security in 1974?
0: 74. Right. John Lennon and Harry Nielsen are sitting on a curb in Times Square, drunk. That's your level of security there you in go. 74.
1: Right. So I knock on the door, after standing in front of the door for a few seconds, again getting my nerve. Harry opens the door and I said, Hi, I'm Mark Lapidus. I want to speak to John about uh doing this Beatles fans convention, the fest. He said, Come on in. <laughs> so I come in <laughs> and sitting in the in the parlor and a couple minutes later, John walks out, shook his hand, Hey, how you doing? Great. And he sat sits down, and I tell him the whole idea. We're gonna have fans, we're gonna have music. Movies, live concerts, uh, discussions, uh, trading memorabilia, um, stuff like that. And he said, and I'll never forget this, Ken. These are the exact words he said. I'm all for it. I'm a Beatles fan, too.
0: Nice. Now, remember, guys, this is 74. 74. They're suing each other. They are suing suing each other. They're coming apart
1: at the seams. Anyone I was talking to about, oh, by the way, let me go back two seconds. In Central Park, walking in, uh, who, who who am I walking right past? Sid Bernstein. Ah. So I said, Sid, you want to be a fest a guest? We're doing this Beetle Fest thing. He said, I'd love to. So we already had a a, a headliner, right, walking right. into the park, <clears throat> and John. So we had a, a a nice talk. I told him all the details. We wanted to know more about it. He said, Come back on Tuesday, and we'll we'll call London cause, and then we'll get everything straightened out and set up. And he I did.
0: You know, like a friend of mine, John, who's an entertainment lawyer, and he's going to be part of a Beatles podcast down the road, said if you had your lawyer call Apple or, you know, call Neil and talk to their lawyers to try to get written agreements to use the Beatles logo for all this, it's 44 years since you started. You'd still be in litigation trying to get contracts signed. That's right. But no, you walk into a hotel, find out because by accidently you know what the shirt looks like and there's a guy in a crowd of 100,000 that has that shirt because you ask him where you got that shirt and the guy who's wearing that shirt happened to have picked up a drunk John Lennon and Harry the night before and tells you what hotel and what room they're in and you get to walk to a hotel simply go up knock on the door and ask John Lennon mind if I do a fest for a Beatles fans and he says yeah I love the Beatles that's how this happened yeah and that's As crazy as that series of coincidences are, fate, kismet, whatever word you use, that's how the Beatles come together, you should pardon the expression. Mm -hmm. That's how every element they need falls in line Their entire career. You mentioned Sid Bernstein before, a beautiful friend, the late Sid, concert promoter, who had this idea, because he loved British music, of booking the Beatles sight unseen into Carnegie Hall. And they'd never allow a rock concert in Carnegie Hall, but he said, not even being a smartass, I've got these four boys from London. I'd like to book them into Carnegie Hall. And they just assumed he meant a string quartet. <laughs> yes. They just did. Yeah.
1: So He told that four... story at the fest a number yeah, of times. It's a great
0: story. He's the one who says, you know, Nat Posnick in the box office said you should have booked them for a month. Wow, where could I put Hey, Shea Stadium. Can I rent that out for a night? What? Are you kidding? No, I'm not. How much? Uh, stadium Rock that we've gone to in every show he is was... born from that. Yeah. And there's a, a beautiful Jewish word, a Yiddish word that I love, called beshert. And that it was, means it was meant to it was be. Meant to be. Yeah. And Sid told this story last time he was here. Sid, I love you. He said, I said to Paul once, I said, you were married to someone who is Jewish. He says, do you know any Yiddish? He said, oh, maybe a word here or there. And he said, do you know what the word beshert means? Paul said, no. He said, it means something was meant to be. And Paul looked at me and smiled and said, well then, I guess the Beatles are shared." <laughs> and he, also said he said it perfectly. Wow. And I he said, I wish I had recorded that. You right. want to talk about a, Good. you know, just like you of John. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, every little thing. This is supposed to have happened. We're supposed to have a fest yeah. for Beatles fans. We're supposed to get these stories. And we walk through the lobby. There isn't a phalanx of security. You'll you'll meet Mark Rivera. You'll talk to him about Billy Joel and Ringo. You can you'll sit
1: ta- down and talk to him, take pictures, right. get an autograph. Billy
0: Joel with Neil Lynch. Randy Bachman yeah. is going to be there. Yeah. Talking. Peter, Peter Asher and Jerry Clyde.
1: They've never played together as a duo. so Pe- Right. Peter so, Ted, and and Jeremy,
0: Peter, and Gordon. It's going to be Peter right. and Jeremy playing music. Paul is dating Jane Asher, staying at their house. She says, Could you write a song for my brother? Boom. You know, it launches Peter's career and they're off. And, you know, all of these wonderful stories.
1: And it was a song that uh, the Beatles didn't want. John said, I don't want that one. Yeah, it's too mushy. So it's a world without love. Yeah. Know. I'll give it. To, I'll give Paul it to, had written the middle eight, yeah, right? Peter asked for it. He said, "Yeah, I, I, can you write me a middle eight, Paul?" Said, "Sure."
0: Yeah, I'll give it to my girlfriend's brother. That should get me a little something, something <laughs> as we go along the way. <laughs> Come on, we know how that goes. It's a fest yeah. for Beatle fans, and it comes from such a loving place. There's only one tough interview I've ever had. You said I've done this for eighteen years. Mm-hmm. There's one that? impossible interview that you gave me. It's a man who first booked them into clubs, a concert promoter in Liverpool, Sammy Leach. Leach. Sammy has the thickest Scouse accent you've ever heard. But that's not a problem. I'm great with accents. I can't sing, but I can do any accent in the world, and I can understand almost every accent in the world. I can understand Scouse. I can understand Irish I can understand New Orleans Cajun Patois. I tr- When I go down to Jazz Fest, a lot of times I walk around translating for people and explaining what they <laughs> said and what they mean. Sammy Leach not only has the thickest scout's accent, but he, ha- he has the thickest lisp you've ever heard. And, God bless him, Sammy had no teeth.
1: <laughs> I thought he had like two left, three left. There might have been oh. two.
0: And you left me on stage with him I did. for an hour. Mm-hmm. Sam, tell me about the first time you saw the Beatles. I think it was the I think this was the vein you saw. Did it And I thought, either I'm having a stroke or I'm in big trouble here. Or both. He could have said, My pants are on fire. Could you help me? And I said, Great. Tell, you know, who to who impress you? And I'm just doing this, into. it's like a Bob and Ray sketch. And I could not understand one word the man said.
1: You know when he came back about six or eight years later?
0: He had teeth? He
1: must have he must have improved because you could understand them. Really? He said, Really? Wow, this is terrific. I mean not a hundred percent, but you could understand them. <laughs> but <clears throat> and speaking of scouses when the Apple Scruffs, when I did meet John in, in London, we were hanging around for a couple hours waiting until he came out of the office. And there's these three teenagers who are scousers, and we're trying to have a conversation with them, my friend and I, and we don't understand half the things, half the words that are coming out of their mouth. It's English, right? But we're looking at each other. What did what, they say? Oh, yeah. We could not understand them.
0: Scouse is like the extreme, yeah. you know, Liverpudlian sort of working class, just like Cockney. Yeah. East End in London is Cockney. Hey, governor, you know, you know, how, what is it? How's the, the trouble and strife. Which is your wife. You know, how's the O B and C? Or, you know, how's the Godfa? You know what a Godfa is? No. God forbid. Oh. Kid. How's your kid? Oh, okay. You know, and, and it's all that. And it's the occasionally, there was one guy, last time I went to Liverpool, and uh, I was, Billy J. Kramer went back for the first time in a long time and asked me to bring all him right, on stage at with the him, yeah. new cavern. It was a blast. And the stage manager said, when the, you're waiting in your train is this is you, You're waiting in your train is this is uh what the trainers and the Aussie um your trainers your trainers your sneakers are your trainers oh sneakers uh trainers this Aussie this afternoon and I never heard Aussie for afternoon
1: oh okay so so, more, so yeah. he
0: had me on that one and but okay. for the most part you, I can well, sort of pick it apart well,
1: we heard when Penny Lane was out we didn't know what a Mac was
0: right right do know. you guys know what a Mac is Hands, yes, you, sir, in the back. Right, a Macintosh, a raincoat. It's a Macintosh. He never wears a, a Mac in the pouring rain. Very strange. Yeah. Mark Lapidus, thank you for sharing the podcast with us. My pleasure. I get to see it to Fest stop us. You can always recognize, Mark, he's the one just running through the hallways with this very concerned look on his face going back and forth. We have a ball.
1: But we like saying hello. I love saying hi to people. They come up to me all the time. And it's it's like a giant family. People come from all over the country. It
0: really is. There's three types of people that come. Uh, There are people who come as casual fans, people who love the Beatles, and people on a trip to the Holy Land. And everybody's welcome. If you know nothing about the Beatles but you kind of like them, come for an afternoon. You'll have you'll, a ball. You'll have if a you're ball. crazy, madly loved about the Beatles, come for the whole weekend. You'll get more out of it than you could ever imagine. And the dealer room has all this great stuff to buy. We're just gonna have mm-hmm. a ball.
1: TheFest.com. Thank you, guys. Peace and love. Peace and love. Thanks, Ken.